I want to add my, uh, my happy Father's Day to everyone. I'm wearing my, my Dadasaurus t-shirt because <laughs> this is the one day of the year that I can wear whatever ridiculous thing I want and Sarah can't tell me that's ridiculous, don't wear that. <laughs> so, so happy Father's Day, dads. Uh, so, so, you know, we are in this, uh, this series, the, these, this couple weeks that we're calling Reset, as we look after this last crazy year, year and a half of, of what are the priorities that, that God wants us to put in place going forward. And, and, and a lot of those we've, we've seen really center around God's purposes for his people in the church. I, and so today I, I kind of, I wanted to ask a question that, you know, because this is kind of what I do. I, I sit around and I think of questions. If we're talking about, you know, the church and, you know, the priority of, you know, being, being in church, all those kind of things, the question is, well, what is church? I, that, that might sound like a, a silly question, and, and I don't know, may, maybe it is. I like to ponder the meaning of, of words. What is church? Is it, you know, is church the, the building? Is it like, you know, that, the, little, the little song that, you know, kids, let me see if I can do this, that kids do with their hands, like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors and see all the people. Did I do that right? Yes, there's the people. <laughs> is that, so is that what, is, here's the church. Is, so is church a building? And, you know, so, so many of us would, would say, oh, you know, I know the right answer to that. No, no, the church isn't the building. The, the, the church is the people, Right, so it's not here's the church and here are the people. It's it's like here's the building and here's the church, uh, except that doesn't rhyme, so we don't say that. <laughs> but and you know that's that's a lot closer to say yeah this this is a building and buildings are important. Buildings are valuable. We're so thankful for this building. But here's the actual church. It's the people, and because people are what's most important. You can be a church without a building, but you can't be a church without people. But I think that if we leave it at just that, of the church is the people, I think we're actually missing something. See, the, the Greek word for, for church, y'all going to get a language lesson this morning. The, the Greek word for church, every time in the New Testament you see the word church, the, the Greek word there translated is, is ecclesia. It's ecclesia. And actually, if you speak Spanish, that's why the Spanish word for church is iglesia, just comes barred straight from the Greek, ecclesia. And ecclesia means the called out assembly, like the, the gathered together. It's, they're called out, that's part of the word. It's God's people called out from the world. And it's the assembly. It's the God's people called out and gathered together. So, so I think like a good Bible definition of the church, of the word ecclesia is God's people gathering together, that that's what the church is. And so that means that the choice between, well, is the church the building or is the church the people, that actually ends up being kind of a false dichotomy. Again, you don't need a building. However, church is a people and a place. It's, it's both. It's, a, it's people and a place. It's God's people gathered. And so you, you can't really have one without the other. It's not God's people scattered. That's mission. That's Monday through Saturday. That's you and your workplaces and your families. It's God's people gathered together. That's what church is. 
And so that's why two weeks ago when we kicked off this series, you know, we, we talked about you know, this, this last year of, of lockdowns and live stream. And you know, we're so thankful for the, the live stream. Uh, actually, my, my whole family is kind of battling a cold. You might hear it in my voice. Um, and so my, my wife and my kids are at home watching the live stream. We're so thankful for that. And yet this past year, the live stream has been, is not life. It doesn't replace church. It's, it's life support. It's a life support to sustain you for those times, that season that we've had that we, we couldn't be together, but it's never meant to replace the ecclesia, the gathering together of God's called out people. And so, so that's what church is. It's the gathering of God's people. And so that leads me to a second question. And the second question is just, okay, if that's what it means to be the church, then what are we gathered for? Like, why, why are we here? If the church is the gathering of God's people, what are we gathered for? And, you know, this one, there, there, could, there could be lots of right answers to this. You know, you could probably all think of an answer and they'd all be right because there's lots of reasons we gather. And, and ultimately, of course, the reason that we gather is not for us or for others, but for the glory of God. You know, we exist to glorify God, the signs say, signs say we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all peoples. That's, that's why we exist as a church. But, but let's be more specific, because really, in one sense, to, to say we gather to glorify God is kind of a cop-out answer, because that's the answer to everything. 1 Corinthians 10 says, says in everything you do, um, do all for the glory of God. It, it is, as the sign says, why we exist. So that doesn't really narrow it down. So the, so the question, how do, we, how do we glorify God as the called out assembly, as the church? What does it mean for us to gather to glorify God? And I think the best answer of lots and lots of possible good answers, I think the best answer lies in the, what I'll call the one another commands of the New Testament. See, 59 times in the New Testament, the word one another is linked to a command. Like love one another, serve one another, teach one another, forgive one another. Over and over and over again. It's one of the primary, the primary foundational words to understand how we relate to one another as Christians. There it is again, how we relate to one another. It's, you can't escape this word. If you've never really noticed how often the New Testament talks about one another, just start reading, like, like read your Bible again, read the New Testament, read the letters of Paul, and you'll see it everywhere once you notice it. So one another, that, that phrase, that word, it has the sense of mutuality, of, of reciprocity. Like love one another means I love you and you love me. It's, the, it's this back and forth. I serve you, you serve me. Serve one another. And so these 59 one another commands are addressed through the whole New Testament to God's people. And these one another commands form the basis of what community in the church looks like and really what the church does, what the church, the gathering of God's people does. And so when you start to look at these commands of, 
of the New Testament writers saying, you guys are getting together for, for a reason. Do this. Do this for one another, and this for one another, and this for one another. You, you start to see that the gathering of God's people is not just to, you know, to listen to sermons or to sing some songs. The, the church gathers to live out these one another commands. In fact, that, that's, the, that's the big idea of this message. The church gathers to live out the one another commands of the New Testament. We don't just gather to passively sit back and consume content. It's really easy in our kind of consumer culture, our consumer mindset, and of a year of the live stream, right, to get into that mindset of I come, I, I sit down, and I consume. I just, I drink in. And consuming is good. We need to be fed. That's why we, that's, that's why we, we do sermons, because we need to be fed by God's word. But the church gathers ultimately to live out the one another commands actively actively, all of us together, pulling this, this project together, mutually, reciprocity, one another, all of these things. So, so today, so what I want to do in the message today, you know, most of the time in our sermons here at Grace, what we do is we take one passage of scripture and kind of dig into it. Uh, but, but every once in a while, we need to step back and see the broader scope of what the Bible says. And so that's what we're going to do today. I actually... I want to look at all of the one another commands. <laughs> I'll try to get done on time. <laughs> Buckle up. I, want to, I just want to look at all of them. Some of them, some of them, will stop and pause, think a little bit more deeply about. I want to see all of them, so we so that we can see this is what we're here for. This is what the church is for. This is what it's about. This is what we gather to do. Because you know, if this series is, if the series we're in is about resetting, finding a, a, a renewed normal, you know, asking what are our priorities going to be going forward? Well, it's these one another commands. This is what we're resetting for. This, this, I believe, is what God is calling us to reset with this mindset to do going forward, to be committed to living out all of these 59 one another commands. So these commands are to be our priority, to be our renewed normal, to be our commitment going forward. And so I, I think they, these categories, these, all these, these one other commands fall into generally three-ish categories. There's some overlap. But the three categories are commands about love, commands about unity, commands about humility. Which I really, I suppose, are really are all just facets of love. <laughs> love is the defining virtue, but these one and other commands really help us get specific. So that's what I, so I just want to look at them. So let's look at these at the love commands. It starts with Jesus himself. Jesus, in John 13, this is the night before the cross. He's having one last meal with his disciples, one last teaching opportunity. And he says, he says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he says it, you know, just 
A couple minutes later, again, he, anytime Jesus repeats himself, it's probably important. He repeats himself. A couple minutes later, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. A couple, a couple things to see here. And the, first is, this is the most important, is that this command to love one another is a call to echo Jesus' love for us. The, the call to love one another is a call to echo Jesus' love for us. He says, as I have loved you. As I have loved you, my love shapes and motivates and now propels you to go do the same. And actually, what we're going to see in, in all of these one another commands is that that's, that's true of all of these. All 59 of them. What we're called to do mutually with one another is what Jesus does for us, uniquely, personally. Right? Like we're going to see this again and again and again, that, that if the church, the church is the body of Christ, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, we are the heart of Jesus, we are the love of Jesus to one another. And so Jesus loves us, and we love one another. Jesus serves us, and we serve one another. Jesus welcomes us, and we welcome one another. Jesus has made peace with us, and so we go and make peace with one another. This is how all of these commands function. It's all the echo of Jesus' own heart as we live out what it means to be his body. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I promise I don't have COVID. I had two negative COVID tests this week. <laughs> uh, another important thing to see here. These, these one another commands, there's a really important distinction here. These one another commands, all 59 of them, are inward focused in the church. These are commands as to how believers in the church are to treat and serve and love one another. It's, they're, they're not... They're not first and foremost commands about how we're supposed to treat the world. Now, of course, there's a lot of overlap because we're supposed to love everybody, right? We're supposed to love everybody. You're supposed to love your unbelieving neighbors and your unbelieving coworkers. Jesus even says to love your enemies. And so, you know, most of these one another commands do have some application everywhere because you're just simply just living out the heart of Jesus. But th this is important. The, the actual direction of these commands is the community of God's people. It's look, look around at the church family. Th this is the object of the commands. It's the love, love each other, love those in this, in this room in these ways. And it, you can actually see this in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, one of the, another one of these one, of, one other commands. He says, Paul prays, he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. You see there, he says both, because of course it's both. Of course we, we love unbelievers and we take that love to the world. He says, so may the Lord make you increase in love for one another, the church, and for everybody. We'll see that a couple times in these, in these one another commands. And so these one another commands are, this is what we do as a church family, this is what we gather for. But the third thing here to see is that this does have a connection to the, the outward mission of the church. 
Because Jesus says, he says, love one another, you guys, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's an interesting argument he makes. Note what he doesn't say. Even though what he doesn't say, what I'm about to say here, this is true. He doesn't say, love everybody so the world will know that you're my disciples. Again, that's true, and we should. May the Lord make you abound in love for everybody. He says, the world will know you're my disciples if in the church you love one another. You see, the, the, watching, the watching world is supposed to see the love of Jesus on vivid display in how we treat each other, in the community of the church, in his body. We claim to be the body of Christ, and so the world watches. And do they see that love in this? Do they see something distinct? Do they see something like, I don't know people like that. People like that. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know people who treat each other like that. I, it's across our differences, across, across all the things that should divide us, yet they see a love, they see a commitment to one another, and they say, that's different. And so the outward mission of the church is connected to this inward call. It's the love of Christ meant to be put on display so that when we say to the world, Jesus loves you, say, come and see, and they come to church, and they come to small group, they come into your family, and they see there a beautiful, multifaceted picture of what that love looks like. See, the, the one other commands, they put the gospel on display, so the world will see that Jesus loves, and Jesus serves, and Jesus welcomes, and Jesus forgives when they see his people love and serve and welcome and forgive one another. And so we can, we can keep going. Now, there's, there's, there's more. You see, I didn't write these all down, but you, you can jot these down. You can look at these later. Look at them in context. Romans, Romans 13, 8, Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. It's like, this is, this is it. This is the whole Bible. Love God, love, love your neighbor, and love one another in the church. 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, You have been taught by God to love one another. 1 Peter 1 says, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That Greek word, the Greek word translated earnestly is really interesting. It literally means fully extended, like stretched out. So like love one another to the very uttermost, to the breaking point and beyond, and not stopping. Just going and going and going without letting up. You know, it's really easy to kind of, you know, pull yourself up and love somebody like for a little while, then think it's hard. He's like, no, keep going and keep going and keep going. Love one another earnestly. First John 3, this is the message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Second John 5, <clears throat> he says, now I ask you, not, that it, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, love one another. Jesus calls it a new commandment, because he adds this whole new dimension to it. It's not just love your neighbor. He's like, he's like, no, no. As I have loved you, this is new. 
This is a new command. And now John is just writing. He's like, hey, guys, we already heard that. I'm just reminding you. Love one another. And then really 1 John. 1 John 4. We have it twice here. As, as John who in, in his gospel, he just calls himself the, the disciple Jesus loved. He's like, that's all I want you to know about me. Jesus loves me. And here he says this. He says, beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. It's like, this, this is it. Like, this is the defining mark of what it means to be known and loved by God is that you love others. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And at this point, let me, let me stop because you, you might, you might at, at this point be mistaken by thinking, okay, well, what, like all these commands to love one another, what does it mean to love? Like, what is love? Because our culture has lots of different answers for that, right? That love means blanket acceptance of me, of accept me for who I am no matter what, um, Love is a warm, fuzzy feeling in, in my chest, the butterflies in my stomach. But see, love, the Bible talks about love. It's not just amorphous, define however you want, good feeling. No, this love has content. And so John goes on, he says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. This is God's love revealed to us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, he said. Not, not that we loved God, because we don't, not as we should, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. Big, big theology word there. means the sacrifice that takes our sin, that takes my, my punishment, that takes my place. He sent his son to do that for me. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's live out that gospel, that content, that Jesus, that, that Jesus loves me is not just that he has warm, fuzzy feelings for me. It means that he went to the cross for me, that he took my sin, he took my guilt and shame, he took my rebellion, all the things that should separate me from God, and he took it all, took the punishment, and then chased me down with relentless love. So th this, this love, this love that the Bible calls us to, as Jesus says, as I have loved you, this is sacrifice. This is rescue. This is, I will bear the consequences for your mistake. I'll take the hit. I will carry the load. That, that's what this love is. That's his love for us, and that's his love for us lived out in this command. Love one another. And so we can go to the next category of these, if you will. I'm calling it unity, but really it's just a further expression of all of these love commands. All of these are really just an unpacking of what it means to love one another. Bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.2 says, Walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Literally, that word means to put up with. Don't you love how practical the Bible is? <laughs> it's 
It's what you tell your kids when they're fighting. Put up with one another, with your sister. Put up with one another, but in love. Not just put up because you have to. But out of, it's out of that love, that, that Christ's love that sacrifices and serves, says, I will bear with this person. I will continue linking arms with this person. Bear with one another. And, and Colossians says it, says it kind of the same way. It says, bear with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Because that, that's an important part of putting up with. <laughs> forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There it is again. It's me echoing the love of Jesus. And so part of putting up with is forgiving. And you know, forgiving doesn't mean to ignore it. It just means not holding it against the other person. It means, it means saying, part of me bearing with you and holding on here is that I, I'll take the weight of your sin against me. I'm, I'm not going to keep putting it back onto you. That, that's what forgiveness means. That's what Jesus does for us. And then he says, forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you. And then Ephesians 4 unpacks it even more. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Tender-hearted. That, that word means gut-level compassion. So, so easy to respond to people's weaknesses and sins with frustration, with anger, with like oh, rolling my, there they go again. But instead, he says, be kind, tender-hearted, responding with compassion. And where does that come from? It comes from Jesus, when he saw the crowds, had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. Gut-level compassion, tender-hearted. In Mark 9, Jesus says to his disciples, be at peace with one another, which is a good thing to tell them because, you know, his disciples were always squabbling. He says, no, be, be at peace and, and work at that because that, that takes work. Romans fifteen seven. Welcome one another. And I love it. Said, Paul says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you. See it again and again and again. This is just the echo of how Jesus treats me. Meant to reverberate around the walls of this room. He has welcomed me. I, I a sinner and a rebel, find myself with a seat at his table. The door, the door to the throne room wide open. My heavenly father saying, come on in. I love you. And he says, now go treat each other like that. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Here's an interesting one. 1 Corinthians 11. We'll, we'll get to this one uh, I think in September in our study through 1 Corinthians, uh, it's wait for one another before beginning the Lord's Supper. What, what, what he's talking about there is not just, is not just like, the, uh, like you missed the cup and the usher hasn't gotten to you yet. It's more in, in 1 Corinthians, they, were, they had this whole problem with, uh, with the, the rich people in the congregation were kind of sitting down to their feast. The poor people didn't have anything. Some people were getting drunk and he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, no, you're all in this together. Galatians 5, Galatians 5, and says, he says, don't. There's, there's some negative commands here, too, of don't do some things to one another. Galatians 5 says, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, 
watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There's a whole lot of damage we can do with our mouths. In the book of James, James sort of remarks and marvels at the irony that our, our little mouths, our little tongues can do so much damage. And that, that's the picture here. He says, don't bite and devour and consume. He, he, he doesn't mean don't gnaw on the person next to you. He means, he means our mouths, our words can tear people to shreds. He says, don't do that. Don't do that in person. Don't do that behind someone's back. Don't do it on social media. The damage we can do with our mouths. And later in Galatians, this next one, says, let us not be, become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Don't envy one another. I, I once heard a really good insight on envy that just kind of cut me, cut me to my heart. Um, you know, because you might have heard from Romans 12, whether, whether you know it's from Romans 12 or not, you might have heard you know, the, the command, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That, that means that I'm supposed to celebrate your victories with you. Your joys are my joys, and I'm, and I'm supposed to put my arm around you in your pain. Your sorrows are my sorrows. Uh, the insight on envy I heard is that what envy does is envy reverses that. Envy weeps at those who rejoice and rejoices at those who weep. Envy says, I'm mad about what you're happy about. And I'm gleeful at your sorrows. Which shows it to be the evil that it is. Sometimes we don't think of envy as that big of a deal. Envy is evil. And so here, Galatians 5 says, don't envy one another. There, there is to be none of that. If we are the heart of Jesus on display for one another, there's none of that. 1 Thessalonians 5, see, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That, that there again is that kind of the two levels. Do good to, to one another and to everyone. As, as Christians, your job is to do good to everyone. Just wherever you find, wherever you find need, meet need. Where, on your, you know, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, do good to everyone. He says, but also do good to one another in this family. James 4 says, do not speak evil against one another. Do not speak evil against one another. And that, that phrase, that speaking evil, I, I want to I read a, a long quote here because that, that, that's a, kind of a hard phrase to get your mind around. Like, what, what does it mean to speak evil of someone? I don't know if you've ever thought about that because when we start to think about, okay, well, like, what if it's true? What, if they, what do you mean to not speak evil? And um, the theologian Albert Barnes, he writes this. It's a long quote. I have it up here. He says, the idea is that, about this phrase, speak evil of no one. The idea is we are not to slander, revile, or defame anyone. We are not to say anything to anyone or about anyone which will do him injury. We are never to utter anything which we know to be false about him, 
or to give such a coloring to his words or conduct as to do him wrong in any way. You know, kind of misrepresent someone's motives or words. We should always so speak to him and of him in such a way that he'll have no reason to complain that he has been wronged. It may be necessary at times to say things which are not in his favor, isn't just blanket acceptance, or to say or to, or uh, things which he has said or done that were wrong. But we should never do this for the purpose of doing him injury, or so as to find pleasure in it. That's that. That's the kind of delighting in pointing out someone's flaws. He says, like sometimes that's necessary. Never enjoy that, he says. And he goes on and says, we should give no improper coloring to his actions. We should exaggerate no circumstances. We should never attempt to express ourselves about his motives or charge on him bad motives, for we know not what his motives were. So often, we're so quick to excuse ourselves and condemn other people, we give ourselves a lot more slack than we give to other people. He says, don't do that. That is speaking evil of someone, assuming bad motives. And in fact, rather than that, he says, we should state every extenuating circumstance of which we have knowledge and do entire justice to it. Like, whatever excuse you can come up with, like, take it. We should not make the bad traits of his character prominent or pass over all that is good. In a word, we should show that we would rather find him to be a good man than a bad man, even if the result should be that we have been mistaken in our opinions. A whole lot there. A, a whole lot there. I would commend that, that in, the quote in its entirety to just chew on for a while. Take it, read, read over it, and, and say, ask my, and see, don't do this. Because the first, one of the first things that I do when I, read this, when I read this is I think of all the people who need to hear that. Which is missing the entire point of it. <laughs> Take that, read over it. And say, Lord, where have I done this? Who do I need to go apologize to? Keep going back to that list. James 5, 9, don't grumble against one another. And James 5, 16, at last a positive one, says confess sins to one another. It's interesting. James has a lot to say about the bad things we can do with our mouth, and then he turns it around. And at the end says, but, but here, here's, here's what your mouth is for. Confess your sins to one another. Instead of biting and devouring, instead of gossip and slander, instead of uncharitable judgments and grumbling, instead of pointing out others' sin, you point out your own. That's what it means to confess. It's pointing out you cover other people's sin and, and expose your own which sounds scary, and it is. But if this family is the heart of Jesus, the love of Jesus expressed to one another, then what happens when we confess our sins? First John says that he is merciful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let's do that with one another. Confess your sins to one another. Find freedom. There's nothing left to hide. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16 says. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Harmony is a really interesting word and concept here. 
Uh, literally, in the, literally in the Greek, it means be the same. But Paul is not after uniformity here. Like look the same, talk the same, be the same. Because in fact, earlier in the very chapter, he says that we don't all have the same function, that we don't all have the same gifts, that we don't all, we don't all look the same. And so I think what he means when he says be the same, live in harmony with one another, is he's, he means be in sync with each other. Be, be together. And so he says live in harmony and, and associate with the lowly. He says don't, don't separate yourself. So don't let economic or cultural status make you differ. It's like you're, you're together, you're on the same level. No cliques, no, no cool kids over here. No favoritism, no partiality, no racial discrimination. This is what it means to live in harmony, be the same. It's, it's you're all in this together. You are one body. And so harmony, I think, is actually a really good translation. Because in Romans 15, he says it again. And he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the, you know, the picture of harmony is music. The picture here in, in that passage is music. And so, listen, I, I might have led worship last week, but I don't know how harmony works. <laughs> Ask a music major. But, but when the worship team is up here, when they come back up here for the closing song in a couple minutes, l- listen. Andrew's going to be over here, and he's singing the melody. He's singing like the actual notes of the song. Angie and Chloe are doing something completely different that I don't understand. It's magic. They sing different notes, and yet it all works together as one song. And so Angie's singing something else, and Chloe's singing something else, but her notes and her notes fit together with Andrew's melody to create a whole And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. He's the melody. It's his life. It's his love, his heart. And you bring your note, and you bring your note until together with one voice, one symphony, we glorify God. Like, what a picture of of what it means to be the church. So now, now look at this list again. Look at, look at the, you might have to go back to the slide, slide before or something. This, this list of all these unity verses. And I just wanted to show you again, all of these commands, all these one another's, you and you doing it with one another, this is what Jesus does for us. Like, don't miss this. That he bears with us. Like, he's patient with you. He, he will never ever get sick and tired of you. He bears with us. He forgives us. Jesus is tender-hearted and full of compassion. He has made peace with us by the blood of his cross. He has welcomed us to his table. He speaks mercy and compassion and grace over us. Jesus never grumbles about you. And you confess your sins to him and the word he speaks over you is forgiven. And Jesus, that perfect melody, he, he condescends to us. Paul says, associate with the lowly, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus stooping to our level. He is not haughty, and he meets us in our lowliness and our weakness. 
So in all of these things, we are simply just, again, just living out the heart of Jesus. We're putting it on display for everyone to see in how we treat each other. Now, the, the next category here, humility, which again is really just another out, an outworking of love again. Humility. Love, Romans 12 says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Don, uh, Don spoke on, or no, Greg, sorry, Greg spoke on this uh, last, last week, mentioned this, and I, I, I love this verse. Outdo one another in showing honor as a competitive person. That's a competition I can get behind. <laughs> Outdo one another in showing honor. It's this, like, just uh, imagine, because so often we get this backwards, right, is that we, we one-up each other in, in arguments, right? We can, like, you know, the fight escalates until, like, you know, like with your spouse, so you're, fight, not, you're fighting about something completely different than what you started with. So the, the back and forth escalates. Imagine... Instead of a vicious cycle, a virtuous cycle of, of escalating honor, of, of one-upping each other with servanthood. <laughs> like, if you can kind of you can maybe get silly if you try to start thinking of it too literally. It's, I serve you, and then, no, no, I'm going to come serve you, and now I'm going to serve you back. But, like, that's the picture. It, it's the, the picture is an endless competition <laughs> of who can go lower, who can lift others higher, who can serve more. Like, what a picture, and what grace that would be. Even if you can think, take it to silly extremes. Outdo one another in showing honor. Or Philippians 2. Philippians 2 is regard others as more important. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, in other words to say that you are bigger than me. You're more important than me. Your, your feelings, your, your, your needs, your desires, your preferences, like I will take second place. That, that's what that means. He says, just do that. Or Galatians 5, serve one another. You, Paul says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You know, I could do a whole message on just that, and the whole message could just be examples of the way that you all do that. The, the ways that this church serves one another. Um, that's the best part about being a pastor, is I get to hear all those things. <laughs> is, uh, I, you know, c- community groups helping, helping somebody out, a need, a, a need over here getting, getting met. Uh, just the, 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 all the little ways through the last year of of people making gift bags and dropping off cards. And um, there was one time Bob Lopes like brought, like he like made bacon. Bob, where's my bacon? <laughs> like just giving bacon to people. Love, serve one another. Like this is just like you guys do the, excel at this. Um, Dave Tritt, all summer and fall and winter, setting up chairs outside. And, and who was helping you with that? Like Keith and other, like others, some of the students, Clark and, and, um, and Reed Troutman. I mean, I, I could just go on and on and on. Um, I don't have names written down here, so I'm going to forget people, so I'll stop. But you guys, you just serve one another. It's amazing. It's breathtaking. But as was pointed out earlier, we have 
still an urgent need for this to happen on Sunday mornings. We have needs in grace kids. Uh, at last, when I checked this week, I think we had nine teacher spots left. Uh, and so unless you want to serve one another in love by watching each other's kids in the sanctuary, that's, that's, option, that, that's option two, <laughs> is let's serve one another by, by watching and, and loving and sharing Jesus with kids back in grace kids. We need nine more adults to step up to that. Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 1 Peter 5 says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. John 13, this, the beautiful picture at, the, at the, the Lord's Supper where Jesus gets down and performs the, the role of the lowest servant, the lowest slave, washing his disciples' feet. And he says, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do that. So go as low as you possibly can. He says, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. See, once again, it's all an echo of Jesus' heart for us. One-up each other with serving. I mean, I mean is it possible to outdo and outserve the servant of all? It is not. We, we will outdo one another with honor because this greatest servant serves us. He's given his life for us. He continues to serve and bless. And Jesus isn't even done with that. There's this amazing promise he makes in this parable in Luke 12 where he talks about his servants and God's people, those who serve like him. And he says, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. And he says, truly, those servants, he says, the master finds them serving and the master will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. In other words, Jesus is saying this, the parable in Luke 12 is he says, is Jesus says, I, I've come to give my life and to serve and I'm coming back to serve. He will never be done serving you. And when we are seated around the table in glory, it will it, it'll be Jesus waiting on tables. That's what he says in Luke 12. And the command to consider others more significant than yourself it goes on to say, it's have this mind, which is Christ's mind in you, that he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. He became a servant. It's just Jesus' heart for us. And you know, the, the next slide here, there, there, there are some, some of the rest that maybe fit into some other categories. Maybe they're kind of on, on, their, on their own. There's the don't judge each other. Romans 14, let us not pass judgment on one another. Decide never to put a stumbling block in, in another person's way. There's, there's uh, greet one another with a holy kiss, which, um, COVID, don't do that. Uh, but what, what he means is, is in the first century, that was just, that, that's how family greets each other. Kiss on the cheek. If you're French, that's still how they, how they greet. And so it's like, he's like, you are family treat each other like that. So whether it's a hug or a fist bump or greet each other with a holy elbow bump, I don't, I don't care. Just, you know, um, it's he's saying you're family. Be like family. Bear one another's burdens. Colossians 3, don't lie to one another. 
You've put off the old self and have put on the new self. First Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4, he talks about Jesus' resurrection and those who have died have not, in Christ have not died in vain, but Jesus is coming back and he's bringing them with him. There will be resurrection, there'll be new life. And he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. And not just with those words, but later in chapter 5, he says, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. Hebrews 10, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. To like say, like, come, like let's do it. Like, let, let's come on. Stir, stirring one another up. 1 Peter 4, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's really easy to grumble when they're, oh, I've got to clean my house or whatever. No, it just says, no, out, out of Jesus' heart that welcomes you in. He says, show hospitality like that. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, James says. And then the last one, sing to one another. And if I can have the worship team come up and I can see the last, the last slide here. <coughs> it's Paul saying, be filled with the Spirit. It's like, if you want to know what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit fill this place, Jesus' heart living in us. He says, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, always giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I, I, I wonder if you've ever noticed this about some songs that we sing. Some songs that we sing are directed to God saying, like, God, you are holy, you are worthy, you are great, and that's part of worship. There are other songs, though, that aren't directed to God. They're singing about God, and sometimes they actually turn around and sing to the people sitting next to you. And we say to the person next to us, he is holy, and he's great, and he's good, and so the, the song that we're going to sing now is, is, is one of those songs. You know, the, the song, I, I love this song, His Mercy is More. And if you can put up the, the chorus of this song, because I, I want to just show you how, how this works. Uh, it's, it says, praise the Lord. Something went wrong there, okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins are many. His mercy is more. We're saying praise the Lord. Who are we talking to? You're turning to the person next to you saying praise the Lord. Pr- praise. He's, our sins, like put your arm around the person. Like, our sins are many. His mercy is more. Praise him. This is what we gather to do. This is why it's so good to be together, and it's been so good over these months as more and more people have come back to where I can start hearing people's voices lifting together, because this is what we're doing. We're, we're saying to one another as we come in on Sunday morning weary and burned out and weighed down with our sins, with the failings of the week, with discouragement, and then we lift our eyes and we look at one another and say, praise the Lord. His mercy is enough. His mercy is more. So let's stand, and church, let's do this. Let's, let's sing together that his mercy is more.